I'm your host Helen Dalthwaite Teasdale and welcome to Brass Evolution, a show where we explore the rich culture and history of the brass banding world. This week I chat to Alex Parker and Eleanor McKenzie from Brass Bands England about the Brass Band archives. We chat about the history of the collection and discuss some of the fascinating items held within the catalogue, as well as how they're being preserved for future generations. Well, welcome Alex and Eleanor to the podcast. Could you give us a brief introduction to yourselves? Do you want to go first, Alex? Yeah, so um, my name's Alex Parker, although uh, lots of people in the Brass Band world know me as Parky. I'm Brass Bands England's uh, membership development manager. Um, so I work across all sorts of things that we do, ranging from the archive that we're going to be talking about today uh, through to our member services and insurance and, and commercial arrangements and things like that. Um, I'm Eleanor. I am an archivist. I previously worked as an archivist at Brass Bands England, cataloguing the Brass Bands archive, and I now work at Heritage Key at the University of Huddersfield, where um, the archive is currently on deposit. We're going to be talking all things Brass Band archive today in the UK. Either one of you can go with this one, but when was the archive started? This is probably my my side of things because Eleanor deals with the current and the now, whereas okay. I, I deal with the with the, the history. Past. So the <laughs> the, um, the 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 collection was actually started by a couple of chaps, Walter uh, Ainscoff and Alan Marsh, who um, who developed it as a as a as a as a sort of hobby collection, and they they collected music from all over the country, and they they did focus on music, but they also collected records and and some items of memorabilia um and and things like that and that was going along happily until about 2018 when at, at that point it was based above a funeral directors in Wigan uh which was brilliant that they were getting the the space for free but it it didn't have a a great message for the for the future of of banding being based above a a funeral directors but uh it yeah, it, it it was it was doing some great work in in making sure the collection existed, um, but in 2018 they got given notice that the flat was going to go into uh, into use again, uh, and so the the owner wanted it back. Um, and at that point, um, it, it it transferred ownership because basically it, it couldn't carry on uh, without the without the support of Brassbands England. So it, it came over to our offices in about six uh, transit vans uh, full to the brim. Um, it's amazing how heavy paper is, and that's why it was six because we couldn't even fully load these vans. They were they were so heavy, and it it got stored at the Brassbands England's offices. It actually took over our um, our boardroom. So for for a number of years we were without our boardroom. So it was it was stored four boxes deep um, across most of the upstairs of our building, and if we're honest, we didn't really know what was in there at that point. Um, and so we we started looking around for potential partners who could eventually become custodians of it, and that's where we we found Heritage Key and started the partnership. But before we could move anything there, we needed to know what was in it, and that was going to be a difficult process because it was a lot of work. And even if we were able to completely staff it with volunteers, we needed some consistency in approach, and that really was only ever going to come from 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 some staff. And then the pandemic hit, which had had all the problems that the the pandemic came with. Um, but one of the upshots was that there was something called the Cultural Recovery Fund, which was a an arts council fund to help organisations both ride out the storm, but also come out stronger. And and as part of that, we were able to get. Um, two archivists for most of the pandemic to come and work on the the archive collection. One of them, in fact, 
actually lived in Leicestershire um, and because of the pandemic, rather than commuting up and down, um, ended up moving into a hotel in Barnsley um, wow. in order to, to to come and essentially sort of live the archive for for their pandemic lockdown. And uh, so they were based here working working through and doing what in archive terms is called listing, where essentially it's that it's a list of items, but with not a huge amount of description. And then eventually we realized that to do this properly, we needed to take one step further and do a certain amount of cataloging as well, which is where you have a bit more information, who the composer is, the name of the piece, that that kind of um, detail that you might expect to want to know about about pieces. And then we we had a bit of turnover in archive staff, um, just as as normal life resumed and people had other things to get back to. Um, but that's when Eleanor came and got involved. And Eleanor, do you want to pick up the the story from there? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I joined the project at an interesting point about midway through, at which point some of the kind of ephemera, some of the objects had been sorted, a lot of the photographs, and I got to come in right as we were sorting out some of the scores and the sheet music. So primarily the bulk of my time was spent organising the sheet music. It was a very fun process. I got to work very closely with um, volunteers at Brass Bands England who know a lot more about music than I do. Um, so they were an absolute, absolutely wonderful group to have around. And it was interesting dealing with the scores because we had, we had an existing list that I think was a little bit more detailed than maybe with some of the other collect- parts of the collection, to say the least. For example, the photographs previously had been listed as photograph in the kind of very original list, whereas because when the archive started, it also operated as kind of like a lending library. It was a good resource to access music. The scores we were very lucky to find had quite a nice comprehensive list. So at that point, what we were able to do as part of the cataloging process really was kind of cross-reference, cross-reference what we had, whether it matched that original list, and then really just provide a little bit of more detail. So what we were able to add to the catalogue were things like copyright information and um, additional composers that maybe haven't been listed or, um, you know, as, as is the way with a lot of brass band journals, you've sometimes got seven pieces listed on a single single piece of paper. So it was about making sure that all of that was recorded, really. Um, so I came in at that point, but then also towards the end of my time at Brass Bands England, worked at making the catalogue more searchable, which is when I got to get my hands on some of the kind of objects, the photographs, the instruments, the uniforms. Have some real fun here in the stores at Heritage Key, having a rummage through the boxes and basically get it into a searchable catalogue online that people could, you know, go through, find the material that they wanted to access and make it publicly accessible. I think um, on previous podcast episodes I've done, you know, we've had just one singular photograph with no information and it's all of the information, all of the research that go behind these objects that make them come to life really other than sort of the scores and the photographs what other kind of items does the archive hold so it's it's got a a real kind of wide spectrum that you might might expect from um, from a collection for for brass bands so and and i think it reflects the way it's collected because it, it often items come to us either when a band folds down or there might be a kind of a clear out going on so we can get kind of this, that, the other and everything. And so one of the challenges is actually working out what, what's, what's archivable, what's, what's got a real value in history uh, to, to be kept. So we, we've, we've got kind of everything from um, I'm just thinking on the, on the, on the side in the office, we, we ended up with two paperweights celebrating a band's tour. We can only keep one of them because the collection 
is enormous. And so one one is now proudly on display at Brass Bands England, one is in the in the collection. And then it ranges through through that kind of bits and pieces that bands will have acquired, banners. We've got um a quite one one of the kind of interesting items is a is a is a hanky that's been that that was actually the program for the concert. So it's a it's a square piece of material and then in the middle is the kind of front cover of your program and then round the edge is printed the the program what they're what they're going to play what they're going to do and that was that was handed out as a program we've got a, a poster around one of Foden's nationals victories um i think in the in the late 80s early 90s i think that is and it lists everyone involved down to the guy that drove the bus who gets a thank you so yes. it, it, it's, it's nice to see that that kind of an acknowledgement and then we've got the, the the things that you expect the music which is is a large bit of the collection but it's perhaps not the it's not the reason for the collection's existence because the, the this is a collection not just for banding uh, but but for helping the public understand banding in a in a different way and and why we do it why we love it so so those kind of things that have a bit of humor about them are, are useful uh, we've also got a trophy um, that was originally gifted to to the contest that it was for by Oswald Mosley, who was you you may recognise the name from Peaky Blinders, but he was the 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 leader of the British Union of Fascists um, in the 30s, and so um, it's clearly not something that we're, we're proud of um, because he, he wasn't a very nice man. But it, what it does is it shows that at that time he wanted to be very populist and brass bands were a key way for him to kind of access a certain part of the population that he wanted to kind of target for um, his particular brand of fascism. Um, and so that gives us a chance to put brass bands and, and the communities into the, the, the sort of wider context of the, the UK's social history fabric and, and and kind of why we do some of the things we do now. And then it allows us to kind of say, but that's how it was and this is how we, we go. And it, it allows us to start using our heritage and our history as a as an asset rather than a millstone to to drag us back because there's a there's a there's a real importance in that history of of bands but we we need to be careful that we don't keep things for the sake of it rather that rather than embracing the bits that are unique and valuable and culturally interesting and that that gives us a chance to do that i imagine that there's there's such a rich history in bandon and and you know as members of the bandon community sometimes it 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 can become across a little bit niche you know, if you're not directly involved. However, especially through this podcast and more generally, we know that people across the UK and internationally, they may not be, you know, play an instrument or um, be members of a band in any capacity. However, they will have knowledge of banding, whether that's through gone to the seaside and seen them playing at the pier, at the, playing a concert, or they've done the local gala day, or their granddad was the member of the band. So it's just how we make these archives accessible to, say, those who aren't involved in the movement sort of firsthand. But there's such well, a rich history there. Yeah, and I think I think it's that realization that so many people in in the UK will have done. I call it sort of brush along with with bands where they they um they've they've just touched upon it. They've seen them in the park. They've been to a friend's concert. But at, at Brass Bands England, we we estimate that there are 
millions of people that watch brass bands each year, whether that's in passing. Um, they they often say that there's a million people that go to Whit Fridays in a, in attendance in, across the whole area. Some of them will just be passing and and see part of it because they're from the local area, but some of them are, are going all the time. So there's there is a it really is culturally ingrained within the the country to a greater and lesser extent with each individual. But I think a great thing about this project is that, and it, it's a I'm, I'm sure Eleanor won't mind me mentioning that Eleanor doesn't come from a brass band background. She's she's an expert archivist, and that's that's why she works on it. But from from for me, it's great to do a project that we are able to include non-banders as well as banders. Our, our volunteer team uh, that Eleanor mentioned are are a real experts in in the banding knowledge and, and they're, they're still learning things as we go through i'm sure they'll admit and they find that's why they get involved and find it fascinating but from a it's useful to me to see how people like eleanor react to what we're doing because um i think sometimes we think brass banding is more niche than we than we really appreciate as a community the the things we do are pretty niche but they they are understandable to people and that, uh, it's probably a chance for eleanor to jump in and um, yeah, I was, and I was just, talk just about, about that. To say, actually, um, Parker can attest to this. I came in not from a banding background or, frankly, a musical background. I know about three chords on guitar, and that is everything. And I came in with, you know, plenty of knowledge around archives, not so much about brass banding. But through working with the material, you realise just how pervasive brass banding actually is. You know, I may not be in a brass band, but I remember plenty of times being caught in a traffic jam as the brass band, my local brass band marches I'm down. Sorry. <laughs> oh, don't you worry, I love it. It's um it's lovely to see. Um, you know, by the end of the year I'd had the pleasure of going to the European Brass Band Championships, seeing some of the best bands in Europe. I've been um told I was very lucky that that was my starting point. <laughs> you but, started um, on a high there. I mean, where do you go from yeah, here? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um I've already decided I would love to play, play percussion because I think it's incredible the way they run around at the back of the stage. But I do think there is something in the archive that everyone can connect to. Um, you know, I think bands come out of a sense of community, sometimes competition. And as a competitive person, I definitely relate to that a little bit. But you realise the more you work with the material, the more you can recognise so many different aspects of banding, even if you have never been a cornet player yourself. And it's really interesting as well the way that the archive sorts of tracks changes in the banding community as well we're seeing more and more of an increase in women composers we've got a fantastic contemporary piece in the collection that commemorates Sarah Everard and the composer of that piece actually gave us permission to use that when we're promoting the archive all women in banding as an organization so it's interesting to see already the ways that the archive are being the archive is being used to maybe challenge some of those traditional conceptions of what a band looks like you know most bands I have met are actually 50% women a lot of young people, which is definitely a something I hadn't realised before working with the archive. And through working with the archive and working with the banding community, I think it's very safe to say that the passion is so infectious. It's really sort of hard not to walk away with that same level of excitement. That's so good to hear. I, um, you know, having been, Alex you can maybe attest to this as well, but having been brought up through the brass band movement, you, it's infectious. We're all very passionate people, as you know. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear that that sort of enthusiasm 
comes across so strongly for the people um, maybe outside the movement or getting involved in the movement. In my last episode, I was talking to Dr. Joanna Ross Hersey and similarly you can track these these social changes throughout the i think we were talking around the late 1800s 1900s crossover into world war one and world war two and that change for more women becoming involved in brass bands etc so the depression all of these things going on in the background that um, affect the movement and hopefully we can keep that going ellen i was just going to ask you or alex as well maybe you can both help me out here but roughly how many items does the archive hold at the minute um, I've got that in front of me because it's just one oh, of those good. numbers that we, we I can never remember because there's so much in there. So we've got about 9,000 sets of sheet music, 5,000 journals. So that's things like um, historic copies of British bandsmen, but also other uh, magazines that have existed over time. We've got about 1,000 vinyl records. Unfortunately, we actually don't have any CDs. They're, they're, that's something that's missing in the collection. That w- when it was when it was handed over to us, I I suspect the CD collection that was was collected is is probably still with somebody. So uh, unfortunately, we haven't got any of those. We've got 180 sort of textile banners, the the stand banners that people will have on there. Um, their stands in concerts and things like that so if if you uh, and that's something that's interesting because it gives us a good record it's very visual that we can use in in display so if um if you are having a set of stand banners made consider getting an extra one knocked up and sending it into the archive because it means your band gets represented in this in the collection uh we've also got some uniforms here and there trophies photographs um and other in the in the archive term ephemera which is sort of the the bits and pieces like the paperweights or the um, things that people have had made to kind of celebrate particular activities. So, yeah, there's a there's a lot in there, and I, I think a good story that um, that that's probably worth worth um, sharing is that because the what the archive isn't is a lending library of music. It's an academic resource. It's I mean, it, people can use the music, but we we have to work with you to do it because we've got to balance all the copyright legislation about. Um, letting the music out for free where where the, the collection can't be seen to undermine publishers and things like that who've got a right to um make a living out of out of the work that they're they're creating um so what we don't keep are two copies of solo cornet parts and the reason we don't and 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 anything else that sort of got double parts because when when we were looking at it we realized that if we fish all of these out we will say 43 meters of shelving in in the in the collection and because the collection stored at heritage key where it, it's not just some shelves in a room it this is a state-of-the-art facility it, the the oxygen level is lowered so that there can't be a fire the, there's sort of flood protection in place so that if there's water sense that it sends off the alarm and people come and sort it out before it damages the collection there all the shelves roll backwards and forwards so that they can get as much in as as possible but even then space is is at a premium at at a a sort of -of state-of-the-art facility like heritage key so doing that meant that we can have the potential to kind of keep more and be be a be a kind of better uh, provision going forwards so that's a that's kind of interesting part of the process that we've been through to get it live and I, I think there's there's probably a little bit more news to share so the the archive was eventually after the the work that we've been doing to list and catalog um uh, and towards the end of Eleanor's time with us we we were able to go live to the public again so in uh j- just around the the Yorkshire regionals was 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 when we went public at Heritage Key and we we had a bit of a, a launch and and there was a display in the sort of museum section um at Heritage Key. 
and so that the, the collection's open to the public again now you can you can go on the, the heritage key website which has everything listed and searchable um you can arrange with with the team there which includes Eleanor now to to have items brought out um, they also do digital um observations so that if you can't get to heritage key directly they can sort of show you uh and they've got they've got a really clever camera set up so that it it projects down and you can see the things that you're you're looking at in in detail over something like a zoom call other hosts are available (laughs) to to put the 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 vvc hat on um but the that's kind of open and and we we do encourage people to go and and have a look and, and get involved and and see that but we've also, and this is the the, the kind of brand new news that's, yeah, <laughs> that's not not been out there before. We've we've just been awarded just under well two hundred pounds less than a hundred thousand pounds from the National Heritage Lottery Fund to support the the archive going forward. So that that will mean that we're able to keep an archivist working on the on the collection for the for for this bit of the project. Um, but we're particularly able to fund some of the outreach that we want to do. And that that's all about how do we make banding more more prevalent and and obvious in the in the in the wider community so that we're going to be able to bring in some school groups to do three days at a time in the collection. So they'll be doing their whole curriculum based around what's in the archive using the stories about people from the archive and bringing it to life um throughout their kind of wider curriculum so we'll we'll do bits of science with uh, how do we preserve items we'll do some music we'll we'll involve our brass foundations we'll do some drama to to find the 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 people that have interesting lives from from inside that and we'll apply that in the drama the english so they'll they'll it, it's about showing that we, the these stories are interesting exciting and and aren't just about music but it's about society and 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 life as a as a whole because i think that's the uh, as you were saying we've grown up in the in the brass band community and that that's part of it it's it for for lots of people it's not just the music it's life it's it's the group that you associate with the 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 people that you see week in week out that kind of thing so that's where there's a there's there's some exciting work to go ahead it, it, we've we've got it we've got it live to the public but it's not the end for the archive and it's a it's going to be a great tool for our community going forwards fantastic news and so good to hear that the archive is it's just a resource there for everyone to utilize whether you're part of the Brassburn community or whether you're a local historian researcher school group in any capacity you can come and use these resources and it just brings everything to life that's that's basically it. Sort of final question from me, but do you have a favourite item from the archive? Oh, so I have two. The wax cylinders, just because they're, I think they're really fascinating. Kind of, you know, those original records that just so cool to look at. And then there is two, actually two photographs that I absolutely adore. One is a band stood outside of a factory in the pouring rain, and the other is a band down in a mine. I dread to think how their lungs felt after playing down in a mine, but. It is, there's just something very recognisable about that group of friends from work. They're all in the same uniform and there they are playing together on what looks like quite a miserable day, but making the most of it. And I think those those photographs especially kind of represent for me what banding is very much about, that sense of community and joy. Yeah, I think they're my favourite items, but it is very hard to pick out of, you know, so many. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> and it, it's probably worth telling the story of those cylinders a bit a bit more the um so the, these are two sort of um i think they're edison wax cylinders which, which was sort of one of the earliest forms of recorded sound and we've we've got two of them in the collection but they're the box says music by silver band 
So we have no idea what's on these um, or who it is. So one of our one of the things we're hoping to do with this funding that we've we've just received is is have those brought back to life find find a way to have them played and digitized because that's the that's the key because the, these things are so fragile and it will only have taken somebody to have left them on a radiator at some point in their life that there's nothing on them anyway so we 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 kind of really want to see what they're what state they're in and 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 whether we can kind of hear that music that that music from the past because we think they're from the 1800s so it's really really early early stuff and um there's a sort of interesting thing to pull apart in there my favorite item though is is a tiny weeny little cup that we've got and it's about the size of an egg cup but it's got handles and it i forget what the um what the prize was but it's it, to me it just shows that 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 kind of sense of achievement just to, to have something as small as that uh, can mean so much to somebody that they felt it's worth preserving in a collection like this, and I and I think that's the um, a, a nice summary of why banding is the way it is. The the comp- competitive elements that we do have, but ultimately it's all about leading to a sense of pride and self worth in in what we're doing, and I, and I think that that's a nice little um, kind of summary of 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 why we do what we do. Thank you so much, both of you, for your time. I'm going to put links to all the resources from Brass Bands England, links to the archives. Fingers crossed that we find out what's on these cylinders, guys. I'm (laughs) I'm hoping that we can, you know, it'd be so nice to hear what's on there. If there's anything in there, but, you know, it's one of those things. Thank you so much, both, for your time. And um, please visit the website, visit visit the resources, (laughs) visit the keys. And thanks again, both of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, if anyone wants to come in, they can just book online or they can give us a call. We'd be happy to book them in. And if we do get the wax cylinders digitised, that will be very exciting because we have computers in the research room where you can actually listen to the recordings. Brilliant. Thank you so much. This week, I'm asking listeners to help the Brass Evolution community grow by leaving an honest review on whichever platform you're using. I really love to get feedback from listeners and your opinions help me to develop the podcast and expand it. If you like the podcast, let me know. Your feedback is really appreciated, so thank you in advance. Podcast music is Mephistopheles, performed by the Illinois Brass Band.